I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. It's the reading of the word. You may be seated. Good morning. I'm Kerwin Dees, one of our elders here, and I echo our pastor, Cole, and welcome you, welcoming you to our services today. Uh, today, we're going to talk about other people. We're going to talk about others. You know anybody that talks about others? I grew up in a home that uh, we were talking about others a lot. Uh, many of you know I was raised by a single mom, a uh, widowed lady. Uh, my father passed away when I was two years old, and my mom uh, raised me, and she... Uh, Never worked for any job more than, and never made any more than minimum wage. And uh, so at two years old, we moved back to our hometown in Arkansas where she was raised, and, and her mother moved in with us to take care of a two-year-old and a seven-year-old while she went to work. And she worked a lot of jobs and long hours to make a living. So my grandmother and my mom were raising me, and my grandmother uh, uh, had a nickname for me that she called me often, and it was God Love. And so when I'd come home, or come in from school as a first grader, in those days you could walk to school, the sweet days in a small town, and come in and say, how was your day, God love? How'd you do on that test, God love? <laughs> Not so good, Ma, as I would say. But I would hear my mom and uh, my grandmother in our home all the time talk about others. And uh, we're not a perfect home by any means, but it was a culture of talking about others' needs. All the time. What? What can we do to help those folks? We need to go set up the hospital with them. We need to take them some food. We need to pray for them. I didn't appreciate it till later in my life how valuable that was to be raised in a home like that. And I also heard as a boy about this guy to be admired. This person that was really worth admiring. He was so much like Jesus. You need to be like that guy. His name is Timothy. Paul said about Timothy, you just heard it. He said, I have no one else like him, none, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out after their own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. Do you know somebody like Timothy? I bet we all think of someone who lives for others, who lives for the interest of Christ. There are many examples. We have people here serving this church that I thought of when I was doing, preparing this message. Um, I, I reminded Nancy, has, a, has a, a funny thing she says sometimes. She says, oh, 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 that's enough me talking about myself. Now I want to give you room and space to talk about me as well. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? We look after our own interest. We like to think about ourselves, hear about ourselves, talk about ourselves. I'm so blessed in my life that I've had five 
incredibly influential people in my life. I've been with one of them at, at all times of my life. And all five had three common characteristics. They all, they all live for others. They all live for the interest of Christ. They all had the had other people in their mind all the time. There was my mom and my grandmother, my two late wives who passed of cancers I've shared with some of you about, and Nancy had three things in common. They, they loved others in Christ. They prayed for others continuously. And they liked me. And I liked that best of all. <laughs> I did like that. So I was a little selfish. My uh, first wife married 35 years before she passed of cancer. Very early in our marriage, very early, she said, I would like our, our family, as we have children, as we have a family, I would like our family to have a motto of being an arrows out people. Arrows out. Let's focus on others. Let's don't focus on ourselves. Let's don't live for ourselves. It's so shallow. Let's live for others. And she said, let's, let's let that be our family motto. And so it was. And so, so many things were filtered through that. So many times I would just get selfish. So many times I get self-centered. And she would say, arrows out. Arrows out. Don't be selfish. Let's, do, let's don't be self-focused. There's an example of this, you know, we have a great example of this in the Bible with, with two of, this, of Christ's disciples in Mark 10. Listen to this. Or read it with me. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who were following were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and he told him what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the man, Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and they will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and one of you sit on your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared. When they, the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not, want, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. These two disciples... Jesus is telling them he's about to be crucified. Aren't we that way? People got real problems around us. People got stuff going on. And we're so into ourselves at times. So focused on self. We can't see other people's problems. You would think these close men, the close disciples of Jesus who loved him, who follow him, who are going to give their life to him. And yet here... 
James and John are captured by self-interest. They want a position. They want to sit right beside Jesus. They think they have some worth, some self-worth to do that. You see there in Mark 10, 33, Jesus is telling them, hey, I'm getting ready. I'm ready, getting ready to go to the cross. I'm going to, be, I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be spit upon. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be killed. And they are thinking about who is the greatest. They're thinking about their own self-promotion. They're asking the Lord to use his power to give them a place of honor. Bless me. Bless me. And we do the same thing. And Jesus says, you want to be great? Serve others. Look after the interest of others. Selfishness or the disease of me can get any of us. It often does. Our elders are reading a book right now that Grant found for us, and I really appreciate it. It's been recommended. It's by Paul Tripp called Lead. It's about church leadership and just pitfalls that, that can try to avoid pitfalls of sin to be effective leaders in the church. And we're, we covered a chapter recently about service. And Paul Tripp says, he asked these questions. And they're penetrating questions for elders. And maybe they might be for you. Why is service so unnatural for us? Why do we love to be known as servants while not always loving the call to serve? Why do we fall into thinking of opportunities to serve as an interruption, a hassle, or a burden? Why do we count the cost while forgetting the riches we have been given? Why are servant postures and attitude not normal in the hearts and lives of those who God has called? And he adds, I think the answer is clear. Paul argues that the DNA of sin is selfishness. Sin is self-focused, self-absorbed, self-defensive. So long as we have artifacts of sin that are resonant in our hearts, we will be vulnerable to temptation to make life about us, what we want, what we think, and what makes us content and comfortable. I think Paul Tripp it really hits, hits it on the nail for me. Selfishness grips me a lot. Jesus was arrows out his entire time on this earth. Jesus was arrows out thinking about others. There's so many things he did to bless others. He said it couldn't be all be recorded. We see just a little snapshot of what Jesus did. He was all about others. And he did this because of his great love. And that's what I think is the best motivator for us. Love of Jesus. Love of others. Love will drive us to be about others. I, we have a terrific teacher at our school at Regent where I, where I am He's, he's one of the top I've had in my 47 years in education. He spoke recently at chapel, and, and he can get the simple things really quickly that are easy to, easy to forget. He said, you know, he's a math teacher. Uh, he teaches a lot of things, but he has a math mind. And, and uh, uh, he said, you know, love is, is being equal. He said, I want, I want to remind you of the definition of love. Where do we find a definition of love in Scripture? It's so plain. In 1 Corinthians 13, love is, love is kind, love is patient, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, love does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. When we're self-seeking, it is not love. We want to seek ourselves, 
Much of our sin can can come back to this, as as Paul Tripp says. And as it says here in 1 Corinthians 13, we are are out to be about other people. And I know sometimes we think there's so many people. There's so many things we could give our resources to, give our time to, give our money to. And, And that takes wisdom. We could just fill up everything doing that. And that takes wisdom. It takes, it takes discernment of what, what the Lord puts in front of us. What has he got for us to do with our resources and our time and our money and our energy and our abilities? I know Nancy stops at the stop sign when she goes to work near our home. And she, she prays the same prayer at that stop sign, that first stop sign. She says, Lord, what have you given me today that you want me to share with one of your children? How about that for a prayer? What do we got that you want for someone else? Not to meet that man's expectations, but just to do God's bidding right there. I think it's probably that heart. She, she gave us a, she said, how about this verse for us this year? This will be our, our, our verse for the year. So she puts it, have you got that up there? She's, she puts that up on a, on our, our kitchen stove, and we see that we come in the kitchen every morning. Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourself, not looking after your own interest, but the interest of others. Nancy and I, our motto is not arrows out, although I think we want to be that kind of people. We have a motto in our home that love is inconvenient, and we we have to say it all the time. 17 grandkids, six kids and spouses, neighbors, church, both working like you. Life's crowded, isn't it? Stuff's going to come up. We're going to be called into service. We're going to be discerning. Is this what the Lord wants us to do? We're not going to be pinned by expectations of people but be sensitive to what the needs are that God has brought before us to do His bidding. But oftentimes, love is going to be inconvenient. It's going to be messy. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be tough sometimes. But love is worth it. Who gave greater inconvenience love than Jesus? The gospel is inconvenient love. He left heaven. He left pleasure. He left riches to come live where he would not even call upon the Lord for those benefits. He called upon the Lord for wisdom, for guidance, but he could have called on for so much more. But he came to live here an inconvenient life to suffer and to die to give his life for us. Thank God that he was willing to come and live in a messy world. To live in a sinful world, a hard world. Who was more sacrificial than Jesus Christ? Thank God for his love. Love is using our gifts for others. Each one of us have been empowered and gifted in some way in personality and interest and hobbies and in, in abilities. In 1 Peter 4 it says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks... They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so 
with the strength God provides so that in all things you may be praised through Jesus Christ. My mom, working for minimum wage, had an eighth grade education. She never spoke in a public forum like this. She never did anything noteworthy in our community that was public. You would have never known it from the newspaper that she was in that town probably until her obituary came out. But yet she lived for others. She was famous for making sourdough bread. And she would deliver it everywhere. Sometimes out of act of kindness, sometimes out of act of love, just because she loved someone most of the time because someone had had a need that had something come up in their life. And she was a great baker. And she would come home and cook all the time. And she was really good setting up in the hospital with people. Being silent. But being there. And when she passed, I was shocked to see a church filled, packed with people who loved her sourdough bread. It wasn't always easy. It was inconvenient with two small children working multiple jobs to come home and to cook and to bake and to go. But she did. What's your gift? I think God will use us right where we are with our giftings. If we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and we've got our eyes on out. I got to see the church in its full glory in cancer. A carpenter comes to our home and says, my first wife had just gone into hospice. And he comes, I want to build a ramp. You haven't got any, you have four steps everywhere in your home. And my late wife says, I don't think I'll ever be able to use it. He says, it would, it would just please me to know that it's there if you want to. Or if you ever could. You never use it. No time wasted. I thought of you, Bert. He was, he was like you. He could fix something. In fact, all during that cancer journey, he said, anything comes up in your home, I'll get it fixed. His gifting, he did. I just went to his funeral. I'll never forget that. But the church just surrounded us. We'd had a 40-year-old ranch home, 1,700 square feet. Pretty ordinary, pretty beat up. Two school teachers. I was a youth pastor. We had about 40 to 50 kids on, for eight years. 40 to 50 kids in our home on, for SCA on Thursday nights, and we fed them. And on Sunday nights, we had our youth in our church, and we fed them. Faith, fun, family, friends. You know, that's what youth want. Hot dogs one week, spaghetti the next, pizza the next, cold cuts the next. There's my diet. <laughs> House was pretty beat up. My late wife gets cancer, and I can't believe. She just said, look what Jesus is, look, how she, look what he's doing. One person just comes and says, I want to paint the interior of her house. Another person says, oh, but wood floors in your home. Some lady comes and says, I'll clean your house every week. 
little old lady raised in the garden says, I'll keep you in vegetables. For 30 months, we never did without a meal. Went to the hospital, come home, and Christmas decorations were up. Had to go back to the hospital. January, Christmas decorations were down. Little things people could do. Ladies made a, ladies said, I'll, a group of ladies said, we'll take care of, we'll take care of your wife in, can, in chemo when you have to work. There'll always be somebody there with her. My late wife got healthy enough for us to take a little trip with our family. And we came home. Somebody, they painted the exterior of the house. <laughs> this lady was kind of like Crystal, had this gifting for really style and colors and all. And I thought of Crystal when I was thinking about this. And, and uh, my wife was just so happy. She said, look what God's doing to show his love. The next morning I got up and I, went, I couldn't find her. She was across the street, sitting on the sidewalk, looking at her house. I went, what are you doing? She says, I'm seeing Jesus' love. How he loves us through the church. Love is encouraging others. There'll be times that we have all kinds of ways to encourage others. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as you, in fact, are doing. And we can do this with word and with deeds and with prayers, lots of things. Love is forgiving others. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Sometimes we will cover offenses, and we don't even say anything to anybody. Just cover it out of love. It's covered. And Jesus, you know what Jesus is great? This is what Nancy's great at. She's great at forgiving, and she's even greater at forgetting. It never comes up again. I'm always grateful for that because I need you to be absent-minded a lot. Love is doing good to others. In Galatians, therefore we have the opportunity to let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Do not withhold good from those from from whom it's due when it's in your power to act. Oh man, we have the ability to help so many people that are right in front of us. It's obvious. And we don't. Often, I don't. Nancy um, has a, a missionary friend in Tulsa, and she occasionally gets to see her. And, uh, one time she was with her, and, and she was with a, a gal there, about 50 years old, single gal, worked in that missionary, missionary's church. And, and Nancy said the Holy Spirit just prompted her to say, we should have a party for her and celebrate her. We should celebrate maybe her birthday. And the missionary said, and said, that'd be great. How can we scheme to do that? Just the Holy Spirit just prompts her. She doesn't know the lady. And Nancy comes home and says, we're going to have a birthday party. I said, who for? And she tells me, I said, I don't know her. And so, I don't either. And so um, we have 30 people at our house and we only know the missionary. And those, that missionary invited people in the church and Nancy, if you've ever been at one of her birthday parties, it's just balloons and it's just decorations, and it's just fun. And uh, uh, this missionary friend takes her friend out, says she's just dropping by our house to pick up something. We're on our way to dinner, and they walk in, and it's a surprise and all this. And they come in, and these other 28 people from her church speak life into a woman. 
who's probably never had love so poured into her. Thank you for serving in Children's Church so many years. Thank you for helping with the mission efforts of our church. Thank you for being a greeter. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Around the room it goes. And she gets, comes to her and she says, did you know I've never had a birthday celebrated? Not as a child, not as an adult. The Holy Spirit will get it right if we're sensitive. Nancy was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We had the power to do good. Thought that was a calling for that moment, for that person. Now again, sometimes we can be exhausted. We can have our margins filled up and we have to, you have to be together. We have to be together as a couple. We can't be without, with disagreement going off. We have to take care of marriage. We have responsibilities, but I think we can be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to where does he have us to serve others. And finally, and Sean, you can come on up if you want to, and I'll close this out. Finally, we'll, be, we'll have opportunities and we'll have callings to serve those who can never repay us. So often we want a pat on the back. We want some recognition. We want somebody to see what we have done. But it's going to happen. We're going to be called to do some things that have no return for us. That we can't expect a return for it. Much like Jesus. How could we ever repay what Jesus has done for us? Oh, you say we can be obedient to him. And we could love him. And we, could, we can honor him. And we can worship him. Yes, we're called to do those things. That's not enough to pay, repay, repay what he did for us. It's grace what he did for us. It's sheer grace. I love this. James 1.27, true religion. Religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless to this. To look after the orphans and widows in their distress. I wonder if that's because they can never pay us back. It's just going to be a gift when we do that. Have you been given to in ways that you can never give back? I think we all look at our lives. We've been touched by somebody that we can never return their favor. That's love. My first cancer walk at our door was an envelope with a gift of $5,000. That was double what we had to our name at that time. And a note that said, never doubt how much you are loved. Never doubt how much Jesus loves you. Feel the freedom to use this gift for anything you want. Blow it if you want to. We're fond of vacations. Take your family someplace. No name. To this day, I don't know who it is. What do we do? Who do we thank? Jesus. Jesus. Bless this person tenfold. 
thank you for drawing their heart to help us. Thank you, Jesus. So often the next person we are called to help, maybe they'll not even know. Maybe it's better they don't. Maybe it'll turn them to Jesus. My late wife in Kentucky, we were at the end of her life, and she had one more gift to give. This would be her next gift, her last gift. And we prayed. We talked to her pastor, her pastor. And um, she gave a gift that could never be returned until it was told in a service later. She never told it. I never told it. And it was released later by misunderstanding, I guess, of her pastor. But I, she had a, there, were lots, there were lots of options. There always is, isn't there? The church, the school she was in, ministries her children were in, a son-in-law that's a pastor, many options. I said, what do you, what's your heart? She says, kids, what's your heart? Kids hear the gospel. So she decided in her final gift, and she wasn't even well enough to do anything except call an elder from our church, and he came to receive the check. She couldn't even leave her bedroom that day. She said, I'm going to... She left a gift to feed thousands of meals at Danita's orphanage in Haiti where they would get a meal and they would get care, get education, and hear the gospel. Those children who had a meal, who may have survived, who've come to know Christ, they have no idea. The people that have given, not just her, but others, right? All they can do is say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your good gifts. At her funeral, there was quite a crowd. Her late husband had been the associate dean of Agriculture University of Kentucky and knew lots of people. They had started two churches together. They'd started a school with 1,600 students in it. They're touching that Lexington community was broad. I'd just come into it. We were at a church of 12,000. She had spoken in that church. I remember visitation, 4 to 9.30. Only ones there I knew was my family. My sweet family had come from everywhere to be there. My family was there. There was a line going out that church, continuous line coming by to see her three children and me. How many of you think I knew? <laughs> Not very many. Just the people I really worked with. A few and a few close friends. But hundreds, hundreds lined up to see and come by and say, thank you for giving. This is what they did for us. We love you. We're for you. We're praying for you. So kind, so kind. People coming by hours and hours. So grateful. And yet I was so exhausted. So exhausted. Eight days without leaving the hospital. Eight days of hospice. Two days making funeral plans. People coming just exhausted. My family's sweet to be there. But finally, I hear a voice next to my, my stepson. And I recognize that voice. It's, it's David. It's my best friend 
from high school. He's come to Kentucky. The only one that could come from Arkansas and Kentucky. One. Hadn't even seen him in a couple years. Talked to him maybe once a year. But he's come. He thinks I need a friend. One friend. I'm telling you today, today, there's somebody who needs a friend in this community. There's somebody in your community that needs a friend. There's someone at your work that needs a friend. There's someone in your family. There are people that are hurting. There are people that have needs. There are people that are discouraged. And we can make a difference. Today, I encourage you to get your arrows out. Today, I encourage you to to get an understanding that love is what will drive us, but love will be inconvenient. I encourage us today to use your unique abilities. God has gifted you in personality and interest and hobbies and, and work abilities that you can use for kingdom work to shower upon other people. And you do this all within the callings of the Holy Spirit all within the opportunities that the Lord brings before us. May we be like Timothy. May we be famous for being after the interest of others and the interest of Jesus Christ with no regard for payback, no regard for recognition. May we be like Christ who gave us everything freely, freely. May we be great in the eyes of the Lord and not the eyes of man. Who said, want to be great? Be about the interest of others. Be about service. Be about the interest of Christ. Philippians 2, 5-11 sums it up. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, I confess to you that I am selfish every week, many days. Nancy knows, and you know. I ask forgiveness for that, Lord. I thank you for how you've poured into my life in ways I can never repay, from your saving grace to the favor you've shown me through others. Lord, I ask for your dependence. I want to be dependent upon your Holy Spirit and not my own will and my own schemes. Certainly not for man's praise, Lord, as I have done before. Lord, let us be about your bidding. These things we ask in thy name. Amen.